0: Today we continue our series in Mark. Jesus is king, and this morning we will see and celebrate his authority over everything, even the unseen and the dark realities of our world. Jesus wants to sorry. Jesus wants to restore you with his grace and truth, his beneficial authority. Let us open our hearts to hear from him through reading Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? And that once his fame spread everywhere throughout all surrounding region of Galilee, all flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever.
1: Amen. Thank you, Danielle. Good morning, church. It's a joy to be with you. Gardner, thank you for the testimony. I am very tempted just to invite you to come back up here so that we can have a relevant word from the Lord for all of us. That was potent and powerful. We want to share good news moments in our congregation because here's the truth. In a world where there's a lot of difficult news, we know the greatest news. Jesus is alive. He's risen from the grave and he's making all things new. He's changing the lives and the hearts of men and women who follow him, families that celebrate his authority, and he is working. Isn't that true, church? He's working in our congregation. He's working in our city, and we want to share that good news. Uh, Today, we're going to see the authority of Jesus, and and I'm very aware of this. There are people with us in this room uh, joining us uh, virtually, who will hear us later, who are discouraged, who are overwhelmed, a sense of despair or dread. It seems like death is winning. It looks like darkness is the ultimate authority. Depression is real. But today, we're reminded how the authority of Jesus wants to give us freedom, hope, life, love, We take our eyes off of our circumstances and we fix them on the rock who is higher, his word that is our foundation for all of life and all of love. Today, we're going to look, walk verse by verse through this passage, and we're going to have a few points of of application. I don't have any points from the passage. And in fact, the word is going to alliterate before I do, believe it or not. I'm going to be secondary in my alliteration today. But here's the truth. We're going to study the authority of the king. Last week we uh, celebrated how the authority of the king netted people with his grace, how he called people to follow him as disciples, that is, coming into a life where every one of our steps is learning from the true king, where his authority that is with us in his person and his word shapes absolutely everything we do, conquered by his grace. And we're going to see today how the authority of King Jesus extends beyond just those that he calls, but his authority is over absolutely everything. And when the authority of King Jesus extends, whether that's individually in our hearts or in our society, our city, in our countries, there is inevitably a conflict of kingdoms. There is a prince of this world. And when the word and the authority of the true king goes out, he doesn't give up turf easily. He does so with convulsions, actually. The battleground of this conflict of kingdoms is right here. It's your heart, and it's my heart. And so before we study the word, let's go to the Lord of the word together and ask for his spirit to be with us. Let's pray. Lord, we want to submit ourselves to your rule and your reign I pray that you would remove all distractions and all barriers. Lord, give us ears to hear, hear, eyes to see, and hearts to receive. May your beneficial rule and reign restore and renew. Lord, where there is division, the handiwork of the enemy, would you bring unity. Lord, where there is death and despair, Lord, would the benefit of your rule and your reign bring hope and life. Lord, where there is discouragement and hatred king jesus would you bring encouragement and love in jesus name we pray amen keep your bibles open we're just going to walk through these verses first it says that he went into capernaum capernaum was a large town that was again on the sea of galilee about ten thousand people it would be we know from matthew chapter 4 verse 13 the headquarters of jesus's ministry it was the home of several different disciples of Jesus. We'll see, P- Jesus will go to Peter's mother-in-law's house in the next narrative. It was a pretty central city. They, they had a, a large coastline, a, a, a vibrant commerce, and they archaeology studies has, it e- has even uncovered uh, a, about a half-mile promenade that went right along the Sea of Galilee. I think that's a, an interesting point of contact. We have a river walk. They had a sea walk. Same kind of tourist attraction, I guess. But in this place, it says that Jesus immediately went into the synagogue. The word immediately runs all through the Gospel of Mark seven times in chapter one, and it's communicating something sudden, a significant event that we need to pay attention to. In this case, it says that Jesus immediately on the Sabbath entered into the synagogue. He began teaching. Now, the synagogue was not the temple the temple, the second temple, had been rebuilt and restored in Jerusalem. Synagogues uh, began to appear after the first temple was destroyed about 586 B.C. uh, by the hand of the Babylonians. Uh, Jews were carried into exile. They were scattered all along the ancient Near East, and wherever there were ten Jewish men in an area, they could start a synagogue. And the synagogue's whole uh, purpose was cultural celebration, Religious ceremony, teaching, they held court there, and they they generally gathered. And Jesus went there to teach. The one in Capernaum, we can assume, was a rather large synagogue. And it says that Jesus began teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching. Verse 22. They were astonished. The word literally means thunderstruck. Have you talked with anybody when they're wearing their mask and their eyeballs and eyebrows just pop up? Like, that's as close as we're getting now to, like, social thunderstruckness. It's just like, hmm. Without the mask, it's like this. (gasps) Right? (laughs) Remember? (laughs) Jaw-dropping. Thunderstruck. They were absolutely astonished at Jesus' teaching. Now, we don't know exactly what Jesus taught here. It doesn't tell us. But we know how Jesus taught in other places. It was Matthew 5 where Jesus would claim the authority of saying, you have heard it said, but now I say to you. It's Luke chapter 4 when Jesus is in the synagogue there and he reads the prophet Isaiah and he says, today this is fulfilled in your hearing. That's authority. And Jesus uh, would say about the kingdom in, in chapter 1 verse 15 that he's proclaiming the teaching of the kingdom. Repent and believe. It says that he taught as one that had authority. That word authority literally means from the original source. You see, the scribes had no authority. They had no power in their teaching. They would say, thus says the Lord. Jesus would say, truly, truly, I say to you. You see the difference? One is a derivative authority that is saying, oh, this is what God's word says, this is what the law says, this is what Moses says. The other is God speaking to you. Uh, One is an instruction manual. Somebody reading, well, here's step two B. You need to take the screw and put it in the pole and put them together. Make sure you got the angles aligned right. And by the end, you get to the third sentence, you're snoozing. You got to have illustrations to stay engaged. The other one is I made this, I want to show you the majesty and the beauty of it and invite you into the excitement of what's in store when you figure it out. You see the difference? Jesus taught with authority as the author of the story, as the lawgiver, the one in whom embodied all the law. You see, the scribes in verse 22, they, they didn't teach with any sort of power. Now, power, it's actually central to this understanding of a conflict of, of kingdoms. Because we like to be a people, earthly people, that want to have power. We don't want to lose our power. And oftentimes, we see position as equaling power. If I can just get the right initials after my name, if I can just get the right title, doctor, reverend, mrs. Then I will have power. We think that we can accessorize ourselves and make us look powerful. I actually ran into a guy this week, spent time with him, and I was hanging out with him after about an hour. I said, I got to ask you a question. Why do you have on a smartwatch on each wrist? (laughs) He had two smartwatches on. I said, do you want to be an authority on what time it is? Like everywhere you look, you know it's like 131, 132. He said, no, I want to figure out which smartwatch works better. He pulls out two smartphones. I'm trying to see which one's the most thorough. And I was like, wow. What are we trying to be an authority on in our, in our accessorizing? We believe that the perception or the popularity or the position actually gives us power. That's the scribes. And unfortunately, we lose our confidence in true authority because of the abuse of power. People claiming a position and using that for illicit or evil practices. And they abuse power, and so it erodes confidence in what true power is. And so when we talk about the authority of Jesus, we can actually be, you know, wondering if Jesus' authority is actually good. Because the abuse of power, people that have had positions or the right prominence and actually have the popularity of people, they have abused that. And they're victims. We don't trust organized church. We don't trust government. We don't trust presidents. We don't trust politicians. We don't trust media, fake news. We don't, we don't trust the Supreme Court. We don't trust anybody because it's all been abused. But Jesus comes as the authority in this conflict of kingdoms, which necessarily inevitably clarifies who has the real power and authority. And he says, abuse doesn't negate proper use. And he invites you, he invites I, to understand the true authority of the king. We love authority, but Jesus is the ultimate authority. Look down at verse 23. They were astonished at his teaching, for he taught as one who had authority, not as the scribes. What happened right after he taught with authority? Immediately, again, suddenly, significantly, there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Immediately, Jesus is teaching with authority. Immediately, an unseen power. Immediately, evil darkness cries out. And notice, this isn't a conflict of powers. They're not rattling lightsabers or swords here. They're submitting. What would you have to do with us? Demons, as we read all through the Gospel of Mark and other Gospels, always recognize Jesus as the true authority. They always obey his word. And yet they always remain in conflict to the purposes of King Jesus. It's interesting. We're going to see that all over. But, you know, in in James chapter 2, 19, it says that the demons actually know the authority of Jesus and they shake, they shiver, they're nervous. They know it. And if you see here, they recognize who Jesus is he cried out what do you have to us jesus of nazareth nazareth He's, they say have you come to destroy us we know who you are the holy one of god they know jesus now this is very interesting i need you to listen they know who jesus is they can answer the right questions and they recognize his authority but you know what the demons are not saved you see salvation and being saved in the kingdom allowing the, the authority of Jesus to net you to grab you to carry into his kingdom it's not about what questions you can answer salvation is not about cognitive assent it's not the familiar with Jesus who are saved it's not the religious who are saved it's not even those who do the most good works who are saved the gospel of the kingdom is repent and believe to turn from the false principalities and powers that we allow the authority to be an authority in our life and to form us to acknowledge those and to turn to the authority of king jesus first for forgiveness and they're screaming to jesus you we know you are the holy one and jesus rebukes them he says be silent. Now, Martin Luther translated this in German, but the English translation of his German translation of this Greek, <laughs> he said, Martin Luther said, and Jesus rebuked him saying, shut up. Jesus silenced the demon and then he commanded the demon to come out. Jesus has all power and total authority over darkness. The demons listened, and the demons obeyed. I would have loved to have seen it. I have no idea how Jesus commanded those demons. And then he sent them out, and it said, with convulsions, the man started shaking. I mean, this is the language of a seizure. He just started shaking like this, and the demon was gone, and he popped out. He was free. That's what the authority of Jesus does. The authority of Jesus speaks this word of life, truth, hope, victory over people who are in bondage, and he gives freedom. The Apostle Paul says in, in Colossians 1 uh, this, this is how he describes King Jesus. He's delivered us, those who have repented and believed, from the domain of darkness. He's transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created. He's the author. He's the source. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus has total authority. But notice the irony. Look at what the people say after the demon is taken out of the man. They questioned among themselves and they said, who is this? Who is this? What? Because if I go back, the demons said, we know who you are. Yet the people said, who is this? Which side are you on? Do you know who Jesus is? Like, have you put your heart into his hands? Beyond cognitive assent, knowing about Jesus being confirmed in, in the church of Jesus Christ. But do you have a relationship with the living God? Demons know and are not saved. The people are amazed and they don't know. These people go around talking about Jesus after this. They leave. Oh, have you heard? You won't believe what I just saw this guy Jesus do, but they didn't know him. That's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7 verse 16, not everyone who says to me, "Lord, Lord," will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who know me. What does it mean to know this authority? It means to repent and turn from these other authorities that shape our lives, these other kingdoms to ask for forgiveness and to be renewed by the beneficial rule of King Jesus. That's the passage today. And I want to give you a few points of application. And I want to point out again, uh, Mark alliterated before I did because the people were astonished at Jesus' authority. That's two A's. Let's look at a few takeaway points. How, how do we, What do we get from here first? I want you to repent and to return. When we see the authority of Jesus' teaching, like the original stuff of God's design, that he controls everything, it reveals our inadequacy. We see it. Just be honest with it. When the fulfillment of the law stands before us with authority, we realize we haven't been faithful to the law, right? I think of Peter. When they called Peter in Luke chapter 5, maybe you've read this story, and he calls him to cast his net on the other side of the boat. Do you remember this story? And he throws it in, and it fills the net with so many fish, he pulls it inside the boat, and the boat can't even hold the amount of fish, so Jesus clearly has authority even over the unseen fish of the sea. And what does Peter say? I have sinned. Get away from me. You see, the total authority of God reveals our own sinful inclinations to be shaped by and to serve the authorities of this world, even sometimes the authorities of Satan. We repent and we return to the love of God, and he invites us, secondly, to believe and to be free. And Jesus is in the business of redemption, Jesus is in the business of restoration. He takes out darkness and strongholds and he brings forth light and love. Jesus is in the business of taking dead things and making them alive. He's in the business of reconciliation. He is the, in the business of resurrection. That's what he does. And when we believe and come to him, we find a new freedom. in, in the apostle John When he wrote his first letter, 1 John, write this down, 1 John 3 8, read it later, and it says that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. That's what he wants to do. All of the handiwork of the devil that's led to division in your life, destruction, death, discouragement, despair, Jesus wants to destroy those works. When we're free in Christ, then we can really move to our third point of application. We can wage in the warfare. There is spiritual warfare happening. And we spent time in our, you know, pre-sermon deep end class talking about spiritual warfare. If you want the notes from that, I'm happy to share them with you. It's a 40-minute discussion on spiritual warfare in Scripture. But for now, suffice it to say this. Our battle's not against flesh and blood. There is darkness in an enemy that wants to divide, discourage, derail, and to kill. He's the father of lies and deceit. He has authority that's been given by God. And I don't understand, but somehow God uses that authority for his own glory. And our battle is not against our spouses. It's not against our roommates. It's not against our neighbors. Our enemy is not our boss. It is not any political party or any politician. Our enemy is the devil, and the opportunity for people who have been freed, who believe, is to wage in this war. And you will realize it. Our wounds will increase. Our worship. Let me tell you, I was reminded of this this week. There was two stories that I read about. First, uh, was a man whose name was Wilbur Halverson, a World War II vet. Second, was a woman in Myanmar who was entering into an exercise competition. Maybe you saw this video. There was a coup in Myanmar, and behind her in the video are all these armed cars, the authority, the government was being taken over, clueless to the war that was happening. I think many Christians are there. Same boat, we're just totally clueless of the war that's being waged and our role in it. But Wilbur Halverson turned 102 years old, listen to this. He fought in World War II. He stormed the beaches in France. He was reflecting on his life and faith. In the Battle of the Bulge, he was shot in the chest. The bullet went into his lungs, and he should have died. Somehow, by a miracle, he lived. The doctors, using God used medical science and, and, and doctoral expertise to bring this guy back to life. He ended up getting married, having kids, and even grandkids. And on his 102nd birthday, he was reflecting on his life, and he said, you know what? Entering into battle and fighting actually deepened my faith. I knew God more from waging war. <laughs> the hat, that's power. You see, what we find is when we are awoken by God's grace, netted by his mercy, and we're we repent and we return to his love and we believe the gospel and find freedom Then we actually engage in the spiritual warfare that's happening in our hearts and in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our city, then we realize it's tough, but our wounds will deepen our worship. We can find true power in God, and this is the fourth thing. We have an opportunity, I think, to live in power underneath the authority of the word. When Paul condemns leader, leaders in the church, in Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, he says that they have an illusion of godliness. They look good on the outside, but they have no power on the inside. Why is that? Second Timothy 3, verse 8, because they reject the truth of God. You see, the Spirit of God uses the Word of God in the lives of the people of God to display the victory of God in all of life. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And then the fifth thing, and the last thing is this we need to be able to grow in grace. And we have the opportunity to do that as we come to this table. You see, the true authority, Jesus Christ, he left his position in heaven. He was in the form of God, but didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. So he made himself nothing. He took the nature of a servant, he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He left his position. He put down his power and he went and died so that those of us who worship at the idolatry of position and power and authority in our culture can repent and find forgiveness. In his death, we can come and taste life and be forgiven. In our sinfulness, we can come and taste his righteousness. In our unrighteousness, we can be revived and renewed by his grace and feast upon his immortality and his love that he has for his people. Oftentimes, we don't wage in war because we have a reductionist worldview where we understand on the one hand, on the one hand, everything is just spiritual. We become gnostic and reject anything that's material. On the other hand, we can be too materialistic and we can reject anything that's not scientific. Jesus doesn't allow either of those ditches to fall into the clear teaching of the gospel. He comes to us in a spiritual way through physical means. And it's for all who believe. Locally, He's the right hand of the Father. Spiritually, He's present in this meal. This table is not the table of First Presbyterian Church, but it's the table of King Jesus who has all authority in heaven and on earth. And He comes to give us life. If you're a Christian, this Feast of Grace is for you. If you're not a Christian... I'm going to encourage you to not partake of this table, but to do business with God. Surrender to him, repent, and believe. When the time is right, you can come feast on this means of grace. But for everybody else, know that you can find security because it was the night that Jesus was betrayed, that he took bread, and he broke it. We have it all covered, but just in case. He broke it and he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way after supper, he took the cup and he said, this is the blood of my new covenant poured out for the forgiveness of your sins As long as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And friends, he will come again. Let's pray together and our time of prayer will be concluded corporately praying the Lord's prayer. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for the beneficial rule of your authority. We thank you for the opportunity to come and feast on your means of grace. We thank you, Lord, that you left your position And you dropped your power and you went to die so that those of us who look for life and the perceived authority of our position and power can repent, confess that our sins deserve death, but you died for us. We believe that in you we can find life and forgiveness and freedom. Father, please set apart these common and ordinary elements we pray, Lord, that you nourish us with your grace. Help us to feast on your faithfulness. Revive our hearts. Invite us home. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.